We're going to be looking from verse 28 to verse 34. I'd like to ask Caroline Forward, who's going to bring a reading for us this morning. So if you want to read along, please open up at Matthew chapter 26. We're going to look beginning at verse 28. Matthew chapter 6, verse 28 to 34. And why worry about clothes? Look how the wild flowers grow. They do not work or make clothes for themselves. But I tell you that not even King Solomon, with all his wealth and clothes as beautiful as one of, had clothes as beautiful as one of these flowers. It is God who clothes the wild grass, grass that is here today and gone tomorrow, burned up in the oven. Won't he be all the more sure to clothe you? What little faith you have. So do not start worrying. Where will my food come from, or my drink, or my clothes? These are the things the pagans are always concerned about. Your Father in heaven knows that you need all these things. Instead, be concerned about everything else with the kingdom of God and with what he requires of you, and he will provide for you with all of these other things. So do not worry about tomorrow. It will have enough worries of its own. There is no need to add to the troubles each day brings. Amen. We're now week three into our summer series. Um, we decided to take a pause on the, the primary uh, focus that we are looking at and just sit within part of that, which is that call to be a holy people, to be God's people in the midst of the summer holidays as people are coming and going and, and enjoying their holidays. I very much was keen that we that we sat in this because that that call to be holy was one that really captured my mind and my imagination, and I really felt God speaking to me and to others about it. What does it mean to be holy? To be distinct? To be God's people living in Scotland, living in Aberdeenshire, according to God's ways. That's the call that God has placed upon each of our lives. And up to this point, this is the third week of looking at things. The first week we looked at the call to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. And we explored that and noted that actually that call to love is a call to agape love, a call to show God that unconditional love that he shows us. Then we looked at the call to love your neighbour as you loved yourself and we explored what that meant, um, defining what love is, looking at 1 Corinthians 13 and then looking at the Good Samaritan and learning that actually our neighbour is often the last person that we would want it to be. And what does it mean to love our neighbour as we love ourselves? That's a radical call for us to love often the last person that we may want to. So this week I wanted us to have a look at this call that Jesus places upon the disciples and upon our lives, which is that call to seek first 
the kingdom of God and his righteousness. A verse which, when taken seriously and when we try to apply it to our life, continues to enable us and help us to be that holy people, that distinct people that live for God. It's a verse that, when we apply it practically, enables us to walk to God's speak, to his ways, which puts us slightly out of step with our cultures and the way around us as well. So I want us first just to have a little bit of an exploration of the verses this morning and to consider what it is that has been asked of us. So that call is first, to seek first. This is what Jesus is as he can, gets to the climax of what he's teaching here, applies to the disciples and what he's looking for in their lives, which is to seek first the kingdom of God. That this is to be the priority for the disciple. As I was exploring this, one of the commentaries that I found really helpful is the word biblical commentary. Um, now that I've been taught that actually there's an explanation part at the end of the commentary. The word biblical commentary is one of these commentaries that assumes you know Greek. And a slight confession, I don't know Greek. I know Agape and I know a few others. But that's really the extent of it. So, but you get to this explanation and it often brings quite a unique perspective. And sometimes what I find is verses that I think are quite blunt and hard. That it's, it takes an approach which sometimes blunt, reduces the bluntness of those verses. But when I read the commentary for this specific verse and where Jesus is aiming this to, I found... But in this case, it actually did the reverse. Because what they said in their commentary was, the kingdom and the kingdom alone is to be the sole focus of the disciple and what he or she devotes their energy to. So what they're saying is the kingdom and the kingdom alone is to be the sole focus of what the disciple, sorry, the sole focus of the disciple and what he or she devotes their energy to. Now that's quite a statement. Quite a statement. The kingdom and the kingdom alone should be the sole focus of what we devote our energy to. And when we hear that as the explanation of these verses, we realize that what Jesus is calling Christians to, what he's calling us to, is something quite profound. Something that really does make us distinct and the life that we live. It's a, it's a call to focus on the kingdom and to seek it above all else. To live for it and to embody it. And that is a call that does put us out of step with the world because we're called to have a different kind of ultimate priority. While the world around us maybe focuses some of its primary priorities on things such as wealth or power or sex, and all these things are kind of evidence of success in some form or another. The kingdom that we are called to live by calls us to something very different. It calls us even to a definition of success, which is very different. That brings for each of us a different ethic, and it's one in which puts us out of step in a number of different ways with our culture. It's one that calls us to live a different way. 
one which very controversially declares the value of every single person, regardless of what they do or who they are. One of the things I'm finding very fascinating watching ha happening in, in America at the moment is this, well, we all know the ongoing turmoils that it's been experienced in America at the moment. But watching as Christians journey their way through that and as they seek to discern their way through that, that the, one of the things that's very much been challenged is where their ultimate pledge of allegiance lies. So, of course, the American dream would argue that your pledge of allegiance lies in America and the American dream in, in the flag itself. But what they're beginning to really home in on and focus in on is actually their primary pledge of allegiance is to Jesus Christ and to his kingdom. And sometimes that makes what they place as a priority quite different to what America itself is placing as a priority. And we see more and more examples of that being the case. So, so we can see across there, they're wrestling with how do they live as Americans, but as Christians. And I wonder, are we wrestling with how do we live as people in Scotland, as Christians? How do we discern what the, the strengths in our society are and what we should seek to nourish and uphold are? And how do we discern what the, the weaknesses are and the things that we should seek to step back from or maybe even challenge if it's appropriate as well? What we're called to is ultimately holy living. A life that's distinct, a life that's lived for God. It's a call to live like Jesus. His righteousness. To embody it. And to be his body here on earth. And there's one thing we can know for sure as we look at Jesus in the Gospels. And that is that he was distinct. He lived God's ways even when it was controversial. Even when it was unpopular. Even when the done thing was to shun. He showed mercy. Even when the done thing was to keep people away or, and to declare them unclean, he brought them in. Think of, for instance, a woman that had been experiencing bleeding most of her days and had known nothing but rejection and ostracized from her culture. Probably didn't have a friend to her name. One leap of faith and Jesus calls her daughter. When was the last time she would have ever heard language like that? Jesus was distinct because he knew the ways of God and he calls us to the same things. He obeyed the Father even when it was costly to those around him as well. So as I was pondering this, I wondered, this call, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, is that a living reality for us? As we gather here this morning, I was thinking back to when I first became a Christian and that was, I can't even do the math. I was 22, okay? Now I'm 35 it turns out now and if you'd asked me that two months ago I'd have been telling you I was 36 because I'd forgotten my age. Um, so I got a nice surprise when I realised I'd gained a year. Um, numbers like that don't tend to, they don't, just don't set my memory, they're not important. But when we first become Christians, we're, we're filled with this energy, with this enthusiasm, with this vigor, this excitement about it all. And the call to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness seems like such an adventure. Something we can commit ourselves wholly to and we're just going to give everything for it. But then life begins again. 
and other realities start to press in and impose themselves and it gets trickier. I don't know how many years down the road I've been a Christian each person is here. Um, some it might be reasonably new and it's still exciting and vigorous. Others, it could be 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, and I'm going to stop there and I'm deliberately not looking at anyone as I say those numbers. But in a sense, that call gets harder as we continue on in our journey. It gets trickier. God calls each of us to that, to that new life, to that new way, to ultimately trusting in his son. And we hear that call, and at first it's all so exciting and so invigorating and wonderful. But it gets challenging, and I wonder how we receive that call this morning. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Well, first, as I've explained it, and as I've, as I've mentioned what the, the commentaries have said, we're probably thinking, well, it's actually quite an intense call. It's a hard call. The disciple must devote their energy to the kingdom. That's quite an intense call that God places on our life. So I wonder, as, as, as we unpack that, how many of us are like, yeah, let's go for it. Let's commit ourselves to that. I'm up for it. Because if I'm being honest, I would say if that's you this morning, you might find you're in the minority. And that might sound surprising, because it's great if that's the case. But for many of us, we might be thinking, I'm trying my best. I'm trying my best. Life's hard. I've got a lot going on at the moment. And when I hear this, I'm struggling to know what I do with it because it is a hard call. And we may feel this morning that we're, we're barely hanging on. We have our worries. We have our troubles. We've got families that we're taking care of that we're supporting. Most people are working long hours. I know people here that work ridiculous hours. Ridiculous hours. So we've got those things going on. We've got supporting people that we love. There are people that have been dealing with illness. We're trying our best, but life is complex. It presses in. And all sorts of other things push in on us. And when we hear verses like this, we can think, this feels like something I don't know if I can do. And that can make us feel a sense of frustration. Perhaps when we hear these verses, that's what we experience. We might be thinking our life is overwhelming just now. This may be possible for others, but they should try walking in my shoes for a while. Or we might be wrestling with how do I connect what Jesus is calling to here with what's going on in my life. And what I am doing. And perhaps maybe we think, am I doing anything for Jesus? It could take us to that place where we think, oh, I'm doing no good for God. This call seems too big for me. I simply can't do it. I don't have the time and 
If I'm honest, I'm not coping great as it is. We can feel guilty and we can look around at those around us and think everyone else is doing and coping all so well and that we are frauds struggling along as others live better for God than what we are. And the tragedy is we can then withdraw. We can respond to it by trying to shrink back from God, feeling inadequate and worthless and that we ourselves don't have much to contribute. Life is taken over and we don't actually know how we can redress that balance. So we'll withdraw a wee bit. We can't do much for God just now. So we're going to step back. We might even step back from others in the church because they seem to be managing all of this so much better than what I am. And therefore, I'll just step back and let them go on with it. I don't want to drag others down or make things difficult for them. So I'm going to step back a little bit. I've got enough to focus on at the moment. Now, I could challenge all of that by saying that all of our lives is left for God. There is no sacred or secular divide. There isn't the stuff that God is interested in us doing and then the stuff that he's like, I'll just let them go on with it because it's kind of boring anyway. But I'm not going to do that, okay? What I want to do is to look at how we embrace that call, okay? How we embrace that call. How we take those verses and we make them real to us because one of the things I think we need to recognize and one of the reasons why I wanted our worship rooted in hope, rooted in grace and rooted in what God has done for each and every one of us is that the way we make these verses real to us is ultimately not a DIY thing of we must do, we must do, we must do. It's primarily, I think, and fundamentally about who we know. It's about who we know. Okay, and I want to widen the context a little bit beyond just the verse that we've really honed in on at the the moment. Because the context of what Jesus is teaching on here is anxiety. The anxiety that people are feeling. They're stressing about the practical things of life, about their clothes, about their food, about all these things that, well, we stress about at times as well. These are the things that Jesus is recognizing can be overwhelming. And he's teaching on anxiety because he knows that people will be troubled. And that he needs to speak into that and to give them a way to journey through it. And to find that reconnection to God in the midst of it. Jesus knows that we have worries. He knows that we have anxieties. And he knows that these can crowd in and that 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 vigor that we might have felt at times for the kingdom and for pressing on can get pushed down by all these other things. They distract us and they pull us away and and they're part of the human experience and that's why Jesus speaks into them and why he's given us all of this. But he doesn't just give us a call. What we also need to recognize here is that he gives us a promise as well. It isn't just a call. There's a promise with it as well. Because Jesus tells us that as we seek first the kingdom of God, all these things will be added to you. These things that we worry about, that take up our thoughts, that take up so much of our emotional energy, Jesus is speaking into that, saying that God will provide. God will be there with us in the troubles. God is faithful. Our God is one that knows that we struggle. 
For Jesus didn't just pluck this teaching out of thin air. He knew the experiences that we go through. And he gave us this promise. And ultimately I think this is a promise beyond all else to, be, to trust him. To give our troubles to him. Our burdens. To take on that lighter yoke that Jesus speaks about. I don't know about yourselves, but so often for me personally, when I've got troubles and anxieties, I want to hold on to them for some reason. I'm like, this is mine. I'm keeping it. I'm not giving it to anybody. I don't want to share it with my brothers and sisters to get their help. I don't want to speak to, speak to God about it. I want to keep it. And yet it, it drags us down. What God wants is for us to take our burdens and our troubles and to share them with him. To experience his presence in the midst of him, his hope in the midst of them. And to find in it God with us. And that reorientation back to the kingdom once more. Because seeking first the kingdom of God doesn't mean we don't have troubles. It doesn't mean we don't journey through them. It doesn't mean they aren't tricky or hard. It doesn't mean that this morning we don't have anxieties. I think one of the core things it means is in the midst of those, we remember Jesus is with us. We remember that we've got hope. We remember that he is faithful. We remember that he is always with us. I don't think these verses are DIY. They are, of course, practical. We cannot get away from that. God wants to call into reality in our lives his reign in our hearts. That's his desire. That we as disciples, as followers of Jesus Christ, experience the reign of God now. We can look forward to it coming in its fullness in time. But he wants us to experience it now as well. These verses aren't DIY. There is much built on the foundation of who we know and responding to that. Because it's in that place that we have the capacity to be able to do these things. So I want to just give us four small things that I would like us to remember. Okay? Four small things. And they're all based around knowing our God. The first of these is God hears. Now I have to confess, you don't explicitly get that from these verses, okay? It doesn't actually mention God listening to us. But you can find it in numerous places in the Bible. And I think it's a very important place for us to start nonetheless. As this is the Jesus that told us to harass God with our prayers, to pester him. To have the perception like somebody trying to wake somebody out of bed to get something that we need. God hears, okay? God hears our prayers. He is a God whose ears are open to us. What I want to stress is God is not semi-distracted. So many people today live in permanent in a permanent state of semi-distraction. Okay? We've got all these different things competing for us. Our TVs, our radios, our, our smartphones, um, 
children, telephones, and on and on and on the list goes. And so often we, we, we live in a state of semi-distraction, so it may be a case of one of our kids says something to us, but our phone goes at the same time. So we're, we're dealing with the kid, but we also pull our phone out to have a quick look as well to make sure it's nothing important. And maybe it is something important, you know, like a Facebook notification or something like that that you've just got to check straight away. Um, but we, we, we are so often in that state that it's, it's kind of the norm. And we, we can maybe apply that to God is not semi-distracted, okay? God is not the person whose arm we need to be pulling on. You don't have to tweet him 30 times to finally get him to respond. God is attentive. He is interested in each of our lives. He is interested in you this morning. And when you speak to him, he listens. He listens. And we need, I think, to have that in our minds. Okay? He isn't one either that goes in a huff if we haven't prayed for a while. So when you pray, God doesn't pull out a notebook and say, they've not prayed for at least 36 hours. Why should I listen to them? I'll go listen to somebody that prayed 36 minutes ago. He doesn't do that. He's attentive and cares for each of us. He doesn't stress if we don't say words in the right combination. I remember when I first became a Christian getting really perplexed about how on earth you pray. Was there a magic combination to prayer? How did you fit God the Father, God the Son and the Holy Spirit into a prayer? And I found that really stressful for quite a while. Like, is God hearing my prayer if I don't say the right thing? If I don't end it with, in the name of Jesus, Amen, does it somehow delete when we speak, God hears. Because he's, a fa- he's our Father. He cares. And he loves to hear from us. He listens to us. So the key question then is, are we speaking to him? These troubles that we may have, are we giving them to him? Because he is a God that doesn't just hear, he cares. And this is in these verses. Look at, the, look at the birds in the air, and the, they neither sow nor reap, nor gather in the barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds you. Are you, not worth more value, are you not of more value than they? Now that expresses God's care and provision for nature as we see it, but it also expresses as well his care and provision for each and every one of us as well. It's a beautiful picture of God caring for creation. He is one who is attentive, aware even of what the birds do. And he cares for each and every one of us as well. More than we could ever know. We can underestimate God's care for us, but we cannot overestimate it. Whatever we experience, and however we may feel this morning, God cares. He cares about where we are today. He cares about what we're facing this week. He cares about what we faced last week or last month. He cares about what's going on and here. Like any good father, he wants to see us begin to reach that potential, that hope that he he has for our lives. He cares. He is with us and he walks with us through everything that we experience. Ultimately, what he wants us to experience is him in this way where we can trust him and where we can seek first his kingdom, but not through legalism. Not through a, the Bible says it, so I'm just going to try my best 
to do it. But through love and joy. Because we know him. Because we experience him. Because we love him. Because we want to do these things with our lives. He is one who cares for us. He is one who hears us. And he is one who provides. He provides for each and every one of us. All these things will be added to you as the summary part of what Jesus says here. But there is detail in the midst of these verses about how he provides for nature. And how he will provide for us. These worries that we may have, whether they're practical, whether they're something else, God is one who's not only with us in them, but working in the midst of them as well. Seeking first the kingdom of God may feel so hard when there's lots pressing in on us. When we feel the pressure of things. But God is one who is with us. The two aren't mutually exclusive or in opposition to each other. It's recognizing that God is with us at all times. And that we can seek him in his kingdom in every situation. Because we redefine it in the hope and the light of the gospel and what that has revealed to us. He's one who provides for us and actually that's a real comfort. It's a real comfort to know that God does provide the practicalities and necessities that we have. And actually it's quite humbling as well. Because it reminds us that some of the things that we might be tempted to define ourselves by are actually not legitimate things to define ourselves by. Because God is our provider. The one who gives us the things that we need. So God is a provider. But what we also learn from this is that God is generous as well. Solomon in all his splendor was not arrayed like these. Is what the verses tell us. Now Solomon was one that had a fair wee bit of splendor. Let me assure you of that. As kings go, he was... Yeah, he was a prosperous and a mighty king who was somewhat distracted by those things as well. But it says here that the nature that God has set up, the generosity that God has shown it, Solomon's splendor doesn't compare to it. Because God is generous. If I could put it another way, maybe I should say God is no stingy fifer. Because apparently that's what we're famed for. I thought it was roundabouts, but hey-ho. He is generous in how he provides for us. And I guess we need to qualify that. When I say generous, I don't mean materialistically. So if you ask God for 20 quid, he's going to give you 200, all right? That's not what I'm trying to say. I'm trying to say that what God, how God provides for us is generous, okay? So it might be a case sometimes he withholds some of that because actually that's not the best thing for us at that moment in time. But what we can recognize is that God is one who's generous towards us. As he provides for us, he is generous in how he does it. God hears, God cares, God provides, and God is generous. And for me, it's on that understanding that we seek first his kingdom. We do it knowing that this God that we have, who is our Father, 
is one who cares deeply for us, who listens to us, who provides for us, and who is generous towards us. This God, when we remember these things, is one that we can give our burdens to, our worries to. And we can trust him in the midst of those. And as we do that, that that ability to seek first his kingdom becomes oh so possible because we realize that we're already a living part of it. And actually the core ingredient in the place we are in is remembering God is with us. God is faithful. And as we journey through this with him by our side, it becomes part of our testimony as well. How do we hear this call, seek first the kingdom of God? I would encourage us not to see it as one which is overwhelming. Not to see it as one which is a step too far for us. But as one which a God who hears us, who cares for us, who provides for us, and who is generous to us, calls us on to a journey in which we trust him. We draw him into our lives in a really intimate way and recognize he is present with us at all times as well.